2: It's uh, pouring down rain, and we just finished with Joe Diffie, and I was worried because, I mean, it's been storming really bad. And he, he came. Joe yeah. still showed up. Family was with them. They set over, and we had like a, a viewing party yeah. for the podcast that you're about to hear there. Um, I, the first time I met Joe Diffie, I don't want to bring it up to him and, and geek out in his face, try to be somewhat professional here, was I think at the Grand Ole Opry, and we were playing together. It was at the Ryman. And I was just like, I was your biggest fan. And he said, you know what? My daughter's a big fan of yours. Can I get a picture of you? And I was like, wait, what? And so we've had a really good relationship for the past couple of years. Um, So it's pretty cool to talk to somebody who was a big star back when big stars were still a cool thing to you. Because now I'm so jaded. And I see people that are big stars, but they're also my friends, or they're also people that I know that I don't like. It's just they're, they're humans now more than big stars and to me the coolest thing is when i was a kid meeting them now and if they're cool i got on an airplane once and i get on the southwest flight and i was like the last one on the flight and there's a middle seat wide open it's the only seat left on the flight and it's not gonna mean anything to you mike because you're not a sports guy but on, there was barry switzer and eddie sutton now barry switzer co he played at arkansas coached oklahoma National championships, coached for the Cowboys, won a championship. Eddie Sutton coached Arkansas, coached Oklahoma State basketball. And the seat in the middle was open. It was the one seat on the freaking plane. (laughs) And I was an adult, but they were such big deals as a kid. And that was so cool to me. And I sat there and Barry Switzer told me so many good stories. He didn't have to. He didn't know I was the guy from the radio. He was like, hey, where are you from, kid? I mean, I was probably 25 or six at the time. And I told him I was from Arkansas. And he goes, oh, man. I'm from, our, you know, I, and I, you know, I coached and I recruited kids from here and here, but it was kind of that same feeling when I got to meet Joe Diffie the first time or Barry Switzer or even, you know, sports figures from when I was a kid. So, uh, you're about to hear a podcast with Joe Diffie, which obviously if you clicked it, you knew that, um, Mike, these new podcast is up called movie, Mike's movie podcast. Yeah. And they can find it by searching. You search movie Mike's. And how has the response been so far? It's been really cool seeing like, everybody enjoying it so far. I'm really excited about that. And so you put out the first episode, yeah. um, if, Live lifetime, and it's about the highest, what is it again? The highest paid movie roles of all time. Of all time, of yeah, anyone? Of anyone. So it's like one character they played, how much they got paid throughout those movies. And so have you recorded multiple episodes yet or you just got the one? I have a couple more that I've recorded, yeah. And what's another one coming up? Another one I have is actors who got hurt on the set. Oh, that's really interesting. And like, Do you this, do Brandon Lee got killed? No. I mean, I don't know anybody that dies. Oh. But that's a crazy story. Yeah, he thought the gun was all blanks. Oh, I thought it was blanks, yeah. And then he shot himself, part of the movie, and died. Yeah. You know what I saw on your Twitter I thought was interesting, that you have a no spoilers rule. Yeah. Because I, I don't think, I think if you go to a movie podcast and it's like spoilers, it kind of takes away like, you can enjoy a review without a spoiler. So, and would you ever talk? So, okay, I, was, I would, let me uh, suggest this, because I don't know how you're doing your podcast yet, because I just went up today and I haven't had time to hear it yet. Could you ever put it, because I would listen to podcasts like uh, Bill Simmons, and he would talk about Game of Thrones, but he would put at the very end of the podcast any sort of spoiler. So, he's like, okay, if you don't want to hear this, you need to turn the podcast off now. I think, well, I, I kind of have an idea of like maybe later down the line, I had like another one where I do like a spoiled thing or it's reviewing something with everything in it. So mm. if you want to hear a spoiler episode, it'll be all in there because it is fun to talk about it too with somebody else who has seen it and you can go into like dive into it a little bit more. But I think just for reviews of what people like want to hear in that, you don't need to do spoilers. A movie, Mike's movie podcast. Check it out. Search it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And here we go. Let's get into the newest episode. It's uh, me talking with Joe Diffie. Welcome to episode 217 with a guy I really like and been a big fan of for years, Joe Diffie. Good to hear you. Good to see you all that stuff.
3: Thank you. You as
2: well. You know, I was um, looking at, I know most of the stuff about you. Like I've been a fan. Before we've been able to be friends, I was just a massive fan of you growing up. (laughs) awesome, man. And so as I kind of went into the deep dive, because I always like to find out, you know, what do I not know about the people that are coming over to the house? Right. Right. Listen to this. I don't know if you even knew this. Oh, Lord. Here we go. On this day, December 16th, 1994, you had the number one song on the Billboard Country Chart with Pickup Man. It was your longest-lasting number one, having spent four weeks at number one from December 94 to January 95.
3: Did you know that was today? No, I didn't know it was today. I I knew the rest of that, but I didn't realize the date of it. That's pretty cool.
2: On this day in 1994. I counted as four number ones. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, So, for example, Luke Combs just spent three weeks at number one um and that's a, a for, for a song the last three weeks number one especially today, today is a really big deal yeah. when you have a song that's number one for four weeks in 1994 what's really the the vibe of that
3: well i mean it was unusual because back then you know they put out a lot more songs The the frequency of, you know you put out four four or five songs a year and now you might have one song that stays on the charts lingering there at some point uh, for almost a year you know so uh, so that was kind of the w- weird part we had to we had to Wait to see what how long it was going to stay number one before we could put out another record. So
2: did you feel like that song was going to be a number one song?
3: I knew it from the instant I heard it. Really? I really did. Yeah. I don't well, know why. just something about it. I just you know.
2: Have you been able to name and, and nail most of most of your big songs from the first time you heard them?
3: <sighs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, there was a couple that I didn't. Uh, like John Deere Green, I hated it when I first heard it. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, because the demo, and now this is, it's, it's a long saga, but, but when I first heard it, uh, it was done by a guy, the writer named Dennis Lindy, and he had a very eclectic sounding and voice, and he did all his own demos at his house. So it had like a juice harp playing, and he's like, and I was like, what the heck is that? you know? And then my producer, so we just, he said, ignore the demo part. I, I, I have to add right now that, that I subsequently... Uh, loved all of Dennis Lindy's demos. They were so cool. After you got, after you kind of figured out what was what was happening, you know. But anyway, my producer said, "Listen to the words," and uh, and uh, I was like, "Man, I just don't like it at all." He goes, "Well," "He said I think this is a hit," and I said, "Well." We can try it, you know, we'll go in the studio and cut it, and if it doesn't work out, then we can scrap it, you know. So luckily it worked out.
2: So you go in, and, and at what point? Is it during the session? Is it during the tracking? When do you go, oh, there might be something here with John Deere Green?
3: Yeah, when we tracked it, you know, because obviously it was a lot different than the demo, you know. So, yeah, we once once we started tracking, I was like, yeah, that's, that is a pretty good song right there.
2: What song of yours, when you play it, gets the biggest response?
3: John Deere Green.
2: And you know what's funny about that? It was not a number one song.
3: I know. Isn't that weird?
2: It, it, and it's, you know, I talk with a lot of young artists now, and they're like, I just want that number one. I'm like, I get it. You do. But, and, and, and Keith Urban and I have talked about this, where his a lot of his biggest songs weren't, weren't no, number
3: ones. Right. Isn't that weird? I, I, you know, of course, back in those days, I mean, there were several, there were like four or five different charts. So I think it did go number one in one of them. I don't know which one, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's, that's always that is a strange phenomenon. Some of your some songs that do go number one don't sell as as well, et cetera. You know, so for me, when I think about your music, like my favorite song is "Prop Me Up." Hell yeah! And
2: yeah. that was not a number one song. Yeah. yeah. on the On the radio chart, right? I mean, when I think of Joe Diffie, this is the song for me. I know every word. I remember when it came out. <laughs> I bought the CD and I I memorized every word so I could sing all of. it. I did that and Third Rock because Third Rock is. A little harder because the words were a lot faster. Right, right. But this this is the song for me that if someone's like, what's your favorite? Matter of fact, when you came in, I was like, Joe, you got to play Prop Me Up. <laughs> right. And you did. And, and again, as it, it peaked at number three on the
3: radio chart. Yeah, it's weird. Right? Yeah, it was a big record for me. Yeah. The
2: video, though, for this song oh, yeah, is well, what, I what I really remember yeah. from the song as well. Because back in the day, we used to really watch CMT for music
3: videos. Right, right. A lot, yeah. I, I, you know what I remember about that video, mostly filming the video? It was um, so hot man it was and they had this these buckets of like sea breeze remember sea breeze it was kind of like a facial cleanser or some kind of deal, <laughs> and it was like but it had like a aromatic kind of effect and they were dabbing all of us with that stuff you know but that's I just remember it was so hot and, and plus the dead guy yeah, that, he, yeah, he was so funny,
2: man that, I mean that 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 to me is those two songs and, and I didn't, again as I started deep diving I was like man, my favorite two songs uh, number five and a number three. And and you say that John Deere Green gets the the biggest. When you do your set list, what do you start with? What's the first song? A third rock from the sun. You come out high energy, huh? Uh -huh. Which, this was the number one song for you. Yeah. I just would have a problem going out and doing the fast stuff quick because then I'd be out of breath for the next three songs.
3: (laughs) That has happened. uh Especially, I'd say where it happens to me a lot is if I'm you know on the Opry. For some reason, it makes you nervous. And boy, well, if you ever get backwards on your breathing in that song, you are screwed. I mean, it's, it's over, you know.
2: Tell me about this song, Third Rock. So you, you heard it, were you like, well, what's this about? It's like what?
3: Um, I, I always thought it was like a little mini movie, uh, you know, w- w- which I heard a lot of songwriters say you try to do, right, try to write a little three minute movie, you know. But, I honestly, this was one that, I mean, even though I liked it, they there was, the same publisher had played two different songs for us. And, uh, and I like the other one better, actually, and uh, so, uh, you know. So anyway, I ended up getting both of them. I had to do a little wheeling and dealing. Some some guy apparently that I now I can't verify this, but I was told this. Uh, Garth Brooks wanted Third Rock as well. So.
2: And how did you get Third Rock? what was
3: the wheeling? Which one the we cut both? We would do both of their songs.
2: Do you know what the other song was? It was
3: called. Uh, 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 if you're having to think, I guess it really was never a single. Well, it then, was huh? never a single, yeah. I'm just Did you put to... it on the record? Yeah. Yeah,
2: it's on there. I'm going to run through your number ones real quick. Uh, let's do uh, Home. Yeah. First your, one. your first one, 1990. Yeah. The debut single. Is that right? Mm-hmm. First song out, and mm-hmm. you go number one. My first six went number one, apparently. Six in a row? Yeah. So do you think, after let's say two or three, that you have it figured out? Uh, you know what? I I've, I've felt like such I was
3: felt a little bit like a rube I was so naive about the whole process I mean even though I kind of knew I, I kind of knew about, about stuff but man when, you know when you get a when you when you start off like when I did I mean I was on the road 300 days a year and so I didn't really have time to think about stuff I was busy you know traveling and, and doing shows and meet, doing meet and greets and all that stuff you know so what brought you to
2: Nashville meaning I know the music I know that the thought of country music but there's always something where some, you get that push or you get kind of the itch.
3: Well, I got laid off from my job. I, had, I was working at a, a foundry back in Duncan, Oklahoma, and uh, they shut the plant down and laid us all off. And uh, you know, and I'd been singing little VFWs. And, How old were you? Oh, 20. Uh, 20 I, moved, I moved to Nashville when I was 28.
2: Oh, so a little bit older. Yeah,
3: yeah. Compared to like the
2: 19, 22-year-olds right. are moving here now. Exactly. So you get laid off.
3: Yeah, and I said, and I had been to Nashville once before with my aunt and a friend of mine. We had we, we did this little thing as a trio, and we came in, and my aunt had known somebody here in Nashville, and so anyway, we met with them, and I just fell in love with the, with the city then. But I didn't have opportunity because I still had a job at the time, you know. But when I got laid off, I was like, well, you know what? I think I'm just going to try it. So I just loaded up everything I could get in this old beat up car I had, and off I went. So at home, you know, you're you're playing
2: around bars. Are you playing around bars at home at all? Not a lot, honestly. I I
3: my background was more of a, a I sang in a gospel group. Then I then I went from that to a, a bluegrass group. I played bluegrass for about six years with this group called Special Edition.
2: Were you known as the guy that was doing music while working at the plant by your uh, workers? Yeah, by your
3: coworkers. Yeah, they'd always ask me to sing. You know.
2: Would you ever sing at work?
3: I don't remember. Just probably gather just, them around and be like, all right, boys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just, they just they sing that song, you know, whatever.
2: Isn't it funny how the things at the time that seem and this happened over my career my life too, were really, un- I put finger quotes up, unfortunate things that happened to us
3: turn out to really be blessings. blessings, the biggest blessing ever, yeah. Because if I hadn't got laid off, I probably would have never left there, you know, so. When you get laid off, do you remember how that happened? Did, you, did your, your boss, your foreman come in and go, all right, you're done. No, it was just more of a, I got a phone call, I think. And they said, Yeah, plant shut down. Don't go out there. <laughs> so, and then immediately, do you go, All right, time to go to Nashville. Like, was it kind of in the chamber already? No, it, it took, a, took a couple of months, you know, of drawing unemployment. And I thought, Well, you know, I, I might as well think of something. I had a good friend of mine. We used to discuss things. He wanted to, he moved to Dallas and became an accountant. And, you know, I said, I want to. He said, yeah, You know, you ought to try music. You're really good at it and all that stuff. So. And when you got to town, did you feel like
2: you were good enough to get in the mix immediately?
3: Um, I just felt really lost, <laughs> honestly, when I first got to town because I just gotten divorced and I missed my kids and, you know, and I was just in this new place and I didn't have a place to live and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. What would you do? Where would you move? I finally moved in with a, with a musician, a guy named David Greer, and we, we rented a, a house with no heater <laughs> in it for, for about a year.
2: And what are you doing when you first moved to Nashville? Meaning, are you out trying to meet people, play, ride arounds? Like, what what what, what um, happens with the new artist? First, then? with
3: me, I was trying. I needed some income, so I got a job. I knew a guy that worked at Gibson Guitars, and so they hired me out there to to work in the uh, the warehouse, shipping guitars everywhere. So, and then after that, I would just do whatever I could. I'd go to to showcases and. You know, just go hang out just, just to get my get out there and meet people, you know. It's so interesting to hear about, because, like, I know you as a country music legend, but I love hearing,
2: like, the origin story of The Hustle, because I think so many people don't know that there's a hustle for everyone.
3: Man, I tell you what, there was there was days, seriously, I, Uh, you know, we didn't have anything in the house to eat. I mean, nothing. One time I had, a, I think I had, like, I don't know, 75 cents on me, and I went by this, this funny thing ever— uh, I didn't know they didn't have White Castles in the Duncan. So I saw it said a hamburger, 25 cents. I thought, oh, yeah. I've, I can, you know, so I stopped you can get in. get a couple burgers. And, yeah. So I know. I, was, I said, the guy said, can I help you? I said, yeah, i like a hamburger, please. He goes, uh, just one? I said, yeah. I didn't know they were, you know. Tiny. Tiny. <laughs> uh, let's talk about this new project. So uh,
2: it's your first ever vinyl, right? Yeah. And so it's called Joe, Joe, Joe Diffie. Right. So <laughs> tell me about this.
3: Uh, it's just a compilation of uh of, of uh, some number one songs we had and uh and we included a new song on it i just always kind of wanted a vinyl and it, it seems to be kind of coming back in fashion right now so where can people get it uh dot slash vinyl
2: and each album is individually autographed and numbered mm-hmm. you yep. you sign them all i did Or did you have the family sign them all
3: no before? i signed every stinking one they're ever. all they're all different signatures. Dude, if you, uh, yeah if you, i was I was trying to be meticulous about it because, you know, you sign 500 <laughs> or anything after a while, you're like, man, I just don't care. <laughs> you know,
2: I know at first, because I was, like, when I did my books, the first book I wrote, I was a little more like, I'm going to make everything so proud.
3: <sighs> after a while. Then
2: you're like, saying. you know what? I think they're going to even like to. You start convincing yourself that Sloppy's cooler, Right, right, right. You're like, cool. oh, it's more of my, yeah. art,
3: my <laughs> artsy inside. <laughs> I even at one point, early, early in my career, because I was signing so many things, I was trying to come up with a faster way to sign my name just like make a line and two dots or something you know but i just it never did look right
2: you're you're living here you you in the same roommate are you still together while you're working at the guitar place uh for a little
3: while uh, then i moved out and uh, that's kind of how i got my first break actually in the music business was uh i moved uh, out from with from with him and i moved in with this uh brother and sister who i worked with the brother at gibson and uh uh, as it happened, a uh, uh, super you know talented songwriter g- guy lived next door, and it's Johnny Neal. And uh, and so uh, Johnny, you know, he can't see; he's blind. So um, my friend J- John that I moved in with, this is not getting too complicated. No, we got but, plenty of time. But John, we would would, would uh, you know, take him to various things to whatever he need to do sessions or whatever. And then one day, John was working, and so. Johnny asked, he said, man, I need somebody. He called the house, you know, and I answered the phone. He said, man, I need John to come get me. I said, well, he's not here. And he's like, well, man, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I'll come get you. He goes, really? So I didn't really know him, you know. So Anyway, we hit it off, and we started writing songs together. That's how I got my first publishing deal was through him. Was that a big deal to you to get paid to write songs? Oh, Lord. Yes, absolutely. They paid me $100 a week to write songs, and then they paid for, you know, the demos the cost of the demos. So. And that's how I got kind of discovered, you know, I guess, quote, unquote. Uh, were you singing the demo? I was singing the demo. So then, the, you know, the musicians and other guys were like, hey, I got to you know, come see my demo for me, you know, so.
2: What do you think about <coughs> your, your vocal style? What do you think it was that attracted people to you?
3: Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I really, I don't know if I can answer that.
2: Uh, how would you classify yourself as a singer?
3: Well, pretty country you know i mean uh, but I, i'm able to kind of branch out like on this new project uh, i did a duet with a with an incredible singer named mark broussard
2: i know mark broussard yeah he's mark. like louisiana oh, dude. Yeah, yeah
3: yeah yeah he's fantastic and uh, i just happened to you know i uh, i was listening to him uh, as we were riding along on the bus we listened to various music and he happened to be in town recording same time i was so i'd we contacted him, and I just wanted to go meet him and say hi, you know. So I did, and we, he played me some of this new album he was working on. And so we, we became friends. You know, we're not like super close friends or anything. But uh, then I, I said, man, I'm looking to do some duets. I said, would you be interested in singing something? He goes, yeah. So he came over, and, and we were looking at each other. We're like, well, what do we do? He goes, I don't know. I said, uh, you know, Pride and Joy? I said, kind of. Steve yeah. Ray Vaughn, right? Yeah. 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 I said, kind of. I kind of do, yeah. And, and so we— uh, we so said let's do that one, so we we end up doing that one.
2: That's pretty cool. Here it is, right here. She's my
3: pride and joy. She's my sweet little baby. I'm a little boy. Well, I love my lady. She's long and lean. You mess with her, you see a man. In me. She's my and that's on the, the, new, the yeah. new vinyl project. Yeah. yeah.
2: Hey, Mike, will you see be from Louisiana?
3: He is. He's from he, Karen Crow. Okay,
2: I just I never want to mess it up, but like yeah. I felt like he was.
3: Yeah, Karen a, Karen Crow, Louisiana.
2: Yeah. And you grew up in Oklahoma. Yeah, when mostly. You, when you were growing up, and is it true you were so good at all the sports that they named you like Athlete of the Year at yeah. your school? <laughs> yeah.
3: Is that true? <laughs> that was, well, that's the old days, but yeah. What well, What was your sport? Well, I, well mostly I, I, I was probably the best at football. I played like – we it was a small school, you know, so – Played both ways. Played both ways. We did in high school, too, really, yeah. yeah, never left the field, really. You know, I, was, I was a deep gun punch and kickoffs, and then I also was like, you know, I never left the field. So but, Are you, are yeah, you still was, a big football fan? Oh, yeah. Who's I your liked, team? Well, I mean, I, I of course, I like the – the pros I like the Titans, and, of course, the Cowboys. That's who I grew up around was near the, cow, the Cowboys. So uh, uh, pro, uh, college team, Oklahoma, OU. Yeah, big Sooner fan. Yeah. So, did you watch the Heisman ceremony? I did not. I was so working.
2: Jalen got third. He got third. He got yeah. third. Um, great season. Yeah. And But OU's in it. They're playing LSU. I know. They're in the top four. It's four something. versus one.
3: That's going to be a tough game, brother. Really. That's going to be a real hard it, it, It's going to be a real be tough really, game. Yeah. LSU is loaded.
2: Well, uh, so you're a good football player. You're a punt returner, huh? <clears throat> well, yes. Ish? Ish, yeah. I, I, I returned a few punts. And I'll tell you what, I did not like was standing there vulnerable as that ball is coming down. I know. And you can just feel without even seeing, you can, you know, how if you're in yeah. a room, Joe, and you know somebody's looking at Absolutely. you? Absolutely. You don't have to look up to feel someone's <laughs> right. eyes on you. Exactly. But you're imagining that with nine or 10 guys coming at you hard.
3: Right. Same kind of feeling. And you're like trying to judge do I catch do it? I ca-, do I catch it? And do I run? run? Do, do I, I wave? Yeah. Yeah. Once it's I, harder than it looks. I guarantee you that. Yeah, because you have to have
2: tremendous focus, yeah. right? And, and once I, um, I didn't fair catch it, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just take off with this ball. thought I had some space. And the ball's coming down, and I get a little little alligator arm, and it hits my <laughs> hand, and, it, and it, I, I, yeah. I, I bobble it, and it's on the ground. And it was the only time that I really lunged for a fumble in my, my – because my, I mostly play wide receiver. Yeah. Um, and I didn't return a lot of punts, especially after this story here. But I, I, I botched the ball, and I was like, I got to go dive for it. And, and diving for a fumble – was I think the the most physical part of because it. it was just bam
3: bam. Oh, ball, everybody's uh, piling on, man, and
2: diving, yeah. and I was on the
3: bottom, and I, and I was oh, like, Lord. I'm done. You ever hear those guys scream in the bottom? You know, because they're down there, and then they something's happening to them. They, oh yeah, <laughs> you hear that terrified people scream? Grab not, and people grab nuts. People get twist, yeah. and it's a whole thing. Yeah, it's a whole deal. It's all. So you play football? You play basketball? Basketball, baseball, baseball, track, golf. Five sport guy, huh? Yeah. Did you think about playing in college at all? Uh, well, I I thought about, it, but I never did get any scholar uh, scholarship offers for football. I actually had some small college offer me a sight unseen basketball scholarship, oddly enough, and I wasn't that great at. I mean, I was okay, but you know, but uh, but no, I uh, I have a cousin that played at Oklahoma State, and uh, he was younger than I, and so he I asked him, I said, do you think I could could play that? He goes, oh, absolutely, There's really? No doubt. So. But I never get any scholarship offers. I had a coach, couple of coaches in small colleges ask me to walk on. And if it worked out, they'd give me a right. scholarship. I never did.
0: Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious.
2: So, you're in Nashville, and so you're driving Jimmy, right? Johnny Neal. Johnny, excuse yeah, me. There's yeah. John and Johnny. Yeah. You're driving Johnny Neal. Right. And so you go pick him up the first time. Mm-hmm. And then how does that relationship turn into something? Because you guys start well, writing. Well, I had
3: bugged him a couple times that I'd love to write with him. You know, of course, I'm just a newbie. You know, I didn't really know much about it. And he kind of gave me the old brush off, you know, ah, maybe one day we'll, maybe, maybe you know. But we just hit it off. We had a, mo- a few minutes to like actually talk and and you know goofing around. And, and so he said, "Well, come on over." So we wrote a couple songs and and uh, he had a little studio at his at his house that uh, and uh, so we turned those demos in and his publisher at the time signed signed me as well. So uh, that's kind of how it got started. And our want to, you know. I don't think John and I ever got a. We got a couple of cuts. I got one on the. Remember the Forrester sisters? Yeah, yeah. It's called "Come Hold Me." And then, uh, so then I started writing with another guy named Lonnie Wilson, great drummer, uh, session drummer, and writer and singer. And uh, we had uh, our first uh, our first top five record with Holly Dunn. Uh, had it was "There Goes My Heart Again" was the name of it. So,
2: so a top five song back in late eighties. Did you make any money off
3: that? Dude, I went to the mailbox. I never seen that much money in my life. Really? It was like the first installment, you know. Yeah. I was like, I gotta write more songs. That's <laughs> pretty cool. And how long do those checks keep coming? Oh, they they the first year's pretty good, and after that it tapers off significantly and almost down to nothing, you know. And
2: you're cutting these demos that people are interested in your in your singing style, which we were on a minute ago. So when did it become a thing where you go, okay, I think it's time for me to try to be an artist?
3: Well, I mean, uh, I, that's kind of what I had in mind all, all along, but I just knew that songwriting would be a good avenue to, to meet people. And, and, you know, just because it was part of the music business, such a significant part. So I just, but I always had that in my, in my mind, uh, being an artist, but, uh, and I didn't really have any way to, that, that I knew it takes somebody to promote you basically. And so I started doing demos for these, these couple of guys and, uh, and uh, they knew, uh, they were good friends with Bob Montgomery, uh, who was at Epic Records at the time. And uh, and so after they played him some demos. So they, he called me over and met with me and said, uh, how would you like to have a record deal? And I'm like, uh. <laughs> so yeah, it was pretty cool. So that was the conversation uh-huh. They kind of changed it off for yeah. you. The how
2: would you like to have a record deal conversation. Yeah,
3: yeah exactly. That's pretty cool. Yeah, He's, he said, I said, man, I've I wanted to do this my whole life. And he said, no, you haven't. I was like. I looked at him, I was like, what What do you mean? He goes, oh, you haven't lived your whole life yet. I said, like, oh, okay. <laughs> One of those guys. <laughs> How long from when you were laid off until you got your record deal? Three years.
2: So you spent a couple months figuring it out. You moved here, you wrote. So three years from there to there.
3: Right. Do you feel like you matured a lot as an artist in that time? Uh, in those three years? Yeah. Uh, probably just, just from the sheer volume of demos and stuff I did, uh, you know, they're all various styles, and um, so I, you kind of had to learn to to do that kind of. You know, just so yeah, I think so.
2: You know, a lot of the artists and a lot of my friends too that that are here that you kind of come in in classes. You don't do it on purpose, but when you move to town, you start meeting other people that move to town around the same time, right. and that kind of becomes your pack that you grow up with because you're all on a similar level. Exactly. When you move here, like who is some of the folks in your class?
3: Well, let's see. There was uh, Tricia Yearwood. Uh, there was a T. Graham Brown. There was, uh, uh, you know, Garth was singing some demos. Uh, I don't know if many of the other ones were, as you know, but, but, I mean, the same guys that are, you know, in my generation are, you know, of course, the uh, Mark Chestnuts and Tracy Lawrence and those guys, you know, so. What was uh,
2: Trisha doing? Was she working at, at Mary Tyler Music, or was she singing I, demos? I'm or? not
3: sure. I, just, I had only met her a few times, and we sang a couple of demos together. Really? Yeah, which is cool. <laughs> and then I got, I got her to sing one a, a chick song, quote-unquote, that I had written. So She sang it for me. So we've been friends ever since.
2: So whenever you hear or you see someone like Garth or Trisha back then, were you like, man, there's something special about them? Like you think, or, is it, or is it just the land of
3: giants where everybody's good? Uh, most everybody was good you know it's it was just you felt like it was just kind of a crap shoot you know somebody's gonna get lucky and get that deal and and something happened i tell you a weird story and people might think this is really odd i've, I've, I've done this twice in my life uh, i went to see i went to a showcase where garth, it was garth and it was at the at douglas corner and i was sitting around having a beer you know walking talking to some friends of mine and i look up and he's playing and up there and, and I saw an aura around him. I'm not kidding you. And so I started looking around the room. I thought, well, the lights guys be weird. That's something weird going on here. And I, didn't find, I couldn't find any reason that he had a, a, a blue aura around him. I swear to goodness, it was the weirdest thing. And the other time it was my, my wife, Tara. I saw her. She had an aura.
2: Now, do you think that that's in your eyes? Do you think that you saw something special?
3: I didn't know what it was. It was yeah. just I saw, I saw it, and I asked. I said, do "Y'all see that?" And everybody else was like, "No." And I'm like, oh, "Man, I'm okay. I'm, I'm going to keep quiet here." So, did you ever talk to Garth in the early days? Were you guys buddies? A few times we yeah. did, not we weren't super close or anything, you know. Who were your buds,
2: musically? I, who were your uh, and who did you like tour with? Who did you like to tour with?
3: Well, I've had a lot of them. I, you know, I, I like all of the people I've toured with. But
2: let's know? do this Mount Rushmore of your favorite tour buddies.
3: Four oh, of them. Lord. You only get uh, four. Oh gosh, that's that's hard, man. It is. Uh,
2: I'm putting you. I'm putting the
3: screws uh, to you. Yeah. Joe. I mean, of course. I mean, I, I toured with Garth. Some didn't do a whole lot. But we we uh, he used to open shows for me. Oddly enough, yeah. And uh, so, but we did that, and I opened some shows for him after that. Uh, of course, you know, my one of my closest buddies is Mark Chestnut, and uh, you know, he's he's always really consistent. And uh, gosh, who else would it be uh, that I toured with? uh you know travis tritt's an, an incredible singer did a, long, a year-long tour with him
2: how was that because i know travis a little bit and he's he's he, uh, at times is very in your face yeah and at times is, is super is super warm
3: yeah
2: Well how, how was you and travis's relationship it was good yeah
3: it was very good yeah at uh you know we just we just had a good time as me travis myself and uh, leroy parnell were out there it was a good package, you know. We had a lot of fun. You got one more on the Mount Rushmore. Oh gosh, oh. you got Garth, you go, Chestnut, Garth, not, uh, Tracy Lawrence. You know Tracy's always good. You know when you when you go see him. I'm trying to think who else I toured with. I've done so many, you know, various packages here and there yeah. that I, I can't even remember them. You ever
2: put a kid opening and that kid turned out to be a big star way later on?
3: Uh, let me think. I want. I almost said Brad Paisley, but I'm not sure that ever happened. You know, because I I, I see some I there. I met a kid the other night that, that, uh, that came up and he opened for and me and Chestnut were doing an acoustic thing and he came up and sang. And this kid was really good. And, uh, what was his name? Remember? I don't remember. It's is me. It was, it was you? Yeah, it's yeah. me. It's me. <laughs> some of the little place in Texas we were at. and, Man, we got him up to sing and he was like, he nailed it. He sang, uh, Is it cold in here? My song. So. Here's another number one. This is If the Devil Danced. If the Devil Danced in Empty. He'd have a,
2: well, he said friend a little bit of that Texas Swing in that song. Yeah. 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 That's, that's Is that your second number one song? Uh,
3: I know. I think that was like the third one, Yeah, I believe. So, Home Hits. You have a number one. What was the second big one for you? If You Want Me To. Okay. If You Want Me To. And then I think Devil... D- or, oh, actually, it may have been New Way to Laugh and Old Fly. I can't remember. I lost track.
2: Uh, Pick Up Man. Which... I my jam. Where do you yeah. put this in the
3: set list? Oh, it's fourth or fifth. Well
2: it's got to be interesting to put together a set list for you because you have so many big. It's songs. hard.
3: It's really hard. I'm I remember. I remember touring with. I got the the final with George Strait. Put him on that Mount Rushmore. You toured with George Strait. Yeah, yeah. When I first started. What year was that? It had to have been ninety one or two somewhere in that range. What is a tour like with you and George Strait? Well, I didn't really get to see George very much. You know, he was, he was kind of a private person and, uh, you know, and he didn't really come to sound checks or anything. So, I mean, I saw him occasionally and he's super, super nice, man. He just, uh, and uh, I just remember I was, I was pretty tickled when he finally, you know, said, hey, Joe, how you doing? I'm like, all right. <laughs> George knows my name now, so. Uh,
2: bigger Than the Beatles. Yeah. Here's this one right here, number one for you. They got love
3: bigger than the Beatles, wild and- You know, for me, whenever
2: I would hear you as a kid, I always felt like you were smiling when you were singing.
3: <laughs> like that, well, the, that. That is part of him, you know, when you're trying to, I, I mean, you do think of that, try to emote, you know, put your feelings into the, the songs you're singing, so yeah.
2: I always felt like, when I, and when I think about your songs, I always think, man, Joe Diffie sounds like he's like he's having a good time. Yeah, absolutely. That yeah. that would be if I were to, like, talk about, if someone's like, what's Joe Diffie sound like? I would say, it's not like he's smiling, like he's having fun, <laughs> yeah. singing about country. Yeah. So, what do you how do you feel about these these artists like the the Luke Combs, um, I'm I'm setting you up here, but but the guys that are really super traditional style again.
3: Yeah, yeah. does I that excite it. you? I love it. Yeah, I mean, country's always been a little bit cyclical, you know, and it's a, it goes from one thing to another, kind of vacillates back and forth. So uh, I love Luke. I, I got to. Uh, along with Vince Gill and a couple other folks got to induct him into the Grand Ole Opry recently, so that was pretty cool.
2: Whenever the Aldean song 1994 came out, and the famous lyric is Joe, Joe, Joe Diffie,
3: did you know this was coming? Yeah, yeah. I actually had heard, it started off somebody contacting me and said, man, there's a song somewhere out there that has your name in it. I said, oh, Really? So somehow we got a copy of it. It was a demo. Uh, you know, Thomas Rhett was, was one of the writers on that. And so uh, the first time I heard it was Thomas Rhett's version, you know. And it was a lot more uh, kind of rap feeling than, than, that, than Jason's version. Jason has a lot more guitars and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I just like my, me and my band members were sitting around. I said, here's that song. Got my name in it, apparently. So <laughs> I put it in there and it had all that. <laughs> we're looking at each other like, what the hell is that? You know, so. Joe, Joe.
2: Did
3: they bring you out or wait where was it they're doing this in an award show it was acms they had had the giant head is that what it yeah. was
2: <laughs> I, I remember seeing it was that's what it was
3: it was the, yeah. the giant head it dropped out of the ceiling yeah.
2: did you find when that song comes out that people were going like younger kids were like who the heck is joe diffie yeah like 12 year olds
3: dude i'm i'm that's a good setup for for saying this that, that because of jason and uh, thomas rick as thomas does that song in his show as well you know and so they're getting they're, it's being heard by a lot of people you know and so i we our tr- our crowds have just been tremendous and a lot more you know younger people and they know every day i'm word to every song which is pretty amazing
2: back in the day there was that the tv commercial <laughs> there was i think they did pickup man pickup man was using a in a maybe a car truck commercial
3: Word truck, truck commercial yeah
2: and did they redo the words a little bit in it
3: well yeah, I... Th- I th- or did they get another singer, no, or what was it? No, that was that was actually me on camera. That it's the same one you're talking about. Uh, that that commercial actually they aired on the Super during the Super Bowl. So that's
2: when that commercial aired. Yeah, you were in
3: the Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, isn't that cool. I got more people though that. Had no idea who I was that saw that. They were like, hey, you're that pickup guy, you know? So, people would recognize you yep. for being the pickup guy from the commercial more Oh, because
2: I was on camera, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. But they would see you from the... It's interesting because I was talking to Brad Paisley a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, what a, are people like coming up to you as the insurance guy? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. A lot of people don't even know that I do music if right. they don't know country music, and they only know me from, the I think, the Nationwide commercials. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that, that's right, Mike? Yeah. And so people were coming up to you, and, and you're the Super Bowl commercial guy? Yeah. Is that a nice payday to do a Super Bowl commercial? Yes. Dang, it's very nice. I love paydays.
3: <laughs> <laughs> to, I grew up poor. That so... song though has made me probably more money than any of the other songs I've had, and I didn't write the song. Uh, a couple of friends of mine wrote it, and uh, so they get paid as well, you know, but uh, for, for the royalty, publishing, and all that stuff. So, <clears throat> but I was also an Applebee's commercial, and
2: uh, was it their like cars to go service? It was like
3: yeah, you pick up. Yeah, they changed the lyrics on it, and. Uh, I'll tell you the the miracle of modern stuff, you know. I had, this, I had a studio in my house, and and so somehow we got, my booking agents got, they they said that they were interested in using Pickup Man as a part of an Applebee's commercial. And so they sent me a CD of it, uh, just the music, and the lyrics changed it. They had rewritten it, basically. And uh, so I just took, stuck it in the thing, read the lyrics, sang it down, took me about an hour and I sent it back. I thought it was going to be like a presentation or a demo for them and they they used it. Oh they, that's did. What they used it. <laughs> and they kept renewing it, man. It was like, this is great. I said, "Can I get some more of those commercials?" Is that where it is? Like in the sink uh, stuff? Boy, yeah. Yeah. If you can get it if you can get a get into one of those deals, that's a pretty good deal. What's that uh, touring like for you now? It's great. You doing a bunch of shows? Uh, a lot, yeah. I this is I've, I've been working working a lot and uh probably uh you know, just staying really busy, which is really good. I like working, you know. I, I, we were talking earlier that the travel part gets a little old. You know, you get tired from that. But, uh, I mean, you know, getting to sing, do, play around, messing around all the time. It's like, it's like I told my guys, it's like we're on a big camping trip all the time, you know, so we have fun.
2: You worked in oil field for a while. I did. You drove – A truck to pump cement is that true yeah what was that work like
3: it sucked yeah it was was for a company called Halliburton and uh, uh, oddly enough who were headquartered they used to be headquartered in Duncan Oklahoma but I had to move to Alice Texas to get to work for them because I had an uncle that worked for them and uh, so I did I didn't do that for very long I was there for about I don't know three four months or so and I just it was like you're gone all the time and the I'll, you know just the pay was not that great and uh so i just decided i didn't like that so i moved back to duncan and got a job in that foundry so so what about you going to medical school that's I, I, I always if you had asked me when i was a kid I, that's what i always wanted to be was a doctor and i used to read medical books and i followed follow my parents around reading them facts and figures on that kind of stuff you know what'd your mom and dad do uh, they were both uh, teachers. My dad uh, did a little bit of everything. He had his own welding company for a while. He had a repossession company for a while, which he didn't. So really he was having
2: like. a repo cars. Yeah,
3: he didn't like that. He, that like didn't in the middle long. of the night, like yes.
2: going. Wow, that's a dangerous. Uh, it's
3: very dangerous. He got shot at a couple of times. He said he didn't like that. So wow. Yeah. So he he actually built since he was a welder, he built this rig on the, uh, the like a hook that that was hydraulic and it would come out of the. Out of the back of the pickup, and the tailgate would lower down, and he would just back up to the cars and pick them up and drive off with them.
2: That's a crazy line of work, Joe. <laughs> is, yeah. And thinking, as we get, as kids, we see adults do things more like, that's just kind of normal. Right. But as you get to be an adult, and you see other adults repoing and people shooting at them, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's
3: that's crazy. crazy. Yeah, he, he didn't last long. At that. He didn't like that at all. So. And plus, you know, you're having to, and, and he just, just the human element of it a lot of people they couldn't you know they were behind on their payments through whatever some of them were just yeah. bums and some of them just lost their jobs or something you know or were ill and he'd have to. the bank would you know tell him to go get this car you know so he had to work with the bank a lot and so he he didn't like that either because people then people had to come he had to tow it to a yard and then people came to the yard and he had to be out there while they gathered their belongings out of their repossessed car you know wow yeah so he didn't like that
2: 1993 you were inducted into the grand Ole opry yeah it's a real special thing that was one
3: one of my highlights of my career i could th- I consider it you know how did you get told you were going to be in the opera <laughs> kind of the same way i got told by record deal i went out to the, the opera and and uh, met with the guy who i can't remember his name right now he was the head of it back then and just have i thought i didn't know why we were even out there i wasn't out there with my manager's and he goes, well, "How'd you like to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry?" I'm like, "Yeah." So that really, really, that's how I got my record deal and the Grand Ole Opry thing. So it's pretty cool. Pretty low key invitations. It was very to low both. key. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Is it true that your parents and your parents said you could sing harmonies when you were three mm-hmm. years old? Yeah. Now, you probably can't remember. You remember three?
3: Yeah. You do remember three? I remember st- singing, and our we had a pickup, and uh, I had two sisters. Have two sisters. And so we would all be five, all five of us be in the truck and to keep us occupied and, and you know, from sh- screaming at each other. They would sing little simple songs, you know, little, little kids songs, and we'd sing along with them. So.
2: And at three, you could harmonize.
3: Uh-huh. I just hear, I just heard it. I just, it was in my head, I could hear it.
2: Were you always a really good singer as a seven-year-old as ele- in church or wherever you were singing? Were you always the...
3: I guess you know it's hard to value, hard to judge it. You know,
2: I guess were you rewarded for your singing at a very young age?
3: Were people telling you, "Wow, yeah, Joe"? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember my aunt got me up in front of with her band, and I got up and sang, "You're my sunshine" or something like that. You know, so it was pretty cool.
2: What was it like in the nineties touring, with no internet and no cell phone and no Google Maps? You ever just end up with the bus in a wrong town? Oh,
3: absolutely. Oh, you would? Oh, yeah. We, you know, Of course, you have to get the map out, and then you had to know, your. And hey, even our satellite, we had, did have a satellite dish, but your bus had to be stopped, and you had to like physically enter in, get the atlas out, and figure out your latitude and your longitude, and enter those coordinates in, and then it would raise up yeah would you ever get somewhere and because there weren't cell
2: phones realized there was no show happening anymore or (laughs) no like you get there and like nah we try to get a hold of you but the carrier pigeon you know (laughs) no we unfortunately never had that happen but what kind of country music artists are you drawn to now
3: uh i i guess i have a tendency to, to lean more towards the country or the country side of things you know which uh you know, so uh, I, I, you know, I enjoy Luke and you know uh, Brad Paisley and a couple other guys that, that that I think are good 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 singers. You know, growing up, who was your favorite? Oh man, uh, well it would probably be, have to be George Jones. I mean, that's who I uh, emulated. So you know, learned a lot just by emulating him. But I mean, I, I I had a whole range of you know, of course I had the regulars that everybody mentions: Haggard, Jones, Johnny Cash. You know, Conway. There was, you know, a whole plethora of those people. But, uh, but I, I you know, I actually, like, I loved uh, Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton as well, you know, and Connie Smith, and so I heard a lot of those.
2: Being from Oklahoma, and, and I'll preface it with my story, I'm from Arkansas, so it was Johnny Cash and Conway Twitty. And you can, you, I mean, listen, Wichita lineman was so big, too. Uh, Anybody from Arkansas was a big deal to us because there weren't a lot of us right. who made it on any sort of national stage. Yeah. Being from Oklahoma, who was it that you looked at and was like, "Wow, like this is one of our guys doing it or one of our girls doing it?"
3: Well, I mean, obviously, you know, they they aren't that much older than I am, but I mean, Reba and Vince, they yeah, they were already involved in doing stuff before I ever moved to Nashville, so that was pretty cool to, to see that, and you know, you kind of kind of take that and you know, feel good about it. Man, that's crazy.
2: Like, I I did the um. Mike, what was the thing in DC I did with Reba? Uh, Kennedy Honors. I did the Kennedy Honors for oh, Reba. Yeah. I got to go. I did went up and did ten minutes of stand-up, and there was like six of us that presented to Reba. It was me and Brooks and Dunn and Kristen Chenoweth and Kelly Clarkson. But anyway, so I go up and I'm doing comedy, but I'm also talking through as I'm doing comedy Reba's Oklahoma Life.
3: Oh yeah.
2: Where yeah. she was, it was you know doing uh, the the work in the rodeos. Right. Like singing the rodeos. Yeah. And you know to I think s- that's how she got discovered. Singing it the national anthem at the rodeo. Yeah. Yeah, tex Ritter, I think is yeah. the one. Who for you saw you sing? I know you got a record of but Who saw you randomly, if anyone, and they were like, "Man, I think there could be like you're actually pretty good there, Joe." <laughs> Did you ever have
3: one <laughs> well, of those? There was moments? this old drunk guy at a bar yeah. in Borrego, <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> he, he threw literally threw five dollars at me. He said, "Son, you ought to move to Nashville. You're really good." So, yeah. you ever see anybody cover your songs nowadays?
2: And you go, "Man, that's a really good version of that song." Uh, i've I've heard a couple of them yeah it
3: sounds real good you know it's,
2: it's fun it's fun to me to hear them you know if you could pick one of your songs to be covered again now and be made a hit again which which song would you like to see reborn
3: uh, that's a good question uh, well I know my favorite song is uh, ships that don't come in
2: Oh come on I you love know? that let me, play,
3: let me, let me listen Here's to that. to all the soldiers who have ever died in vain? Ain't locked up in
2: themselves the homeless down so everybody listening right now there's a lot of artists that listen to this podcast ships that don't come in that's the cover to do
3: uh, it is message that's such a great song I've I've told the writers uh, Dave Gibson and Paul Nelson I, I said that song didn't need me but it needed somebody to sing it because it's just such a great song I think it could have been a hit with anybody you know so I was glad I got it Anybody cool ever come
2: up to you that you're like, man, they're a fan of you, but you're like, that's really cool. They're a fan of me.
3: Um, a lot, of, yeah, a lot. I mean, uh, some people I revere, you know. I mean, uh, I walked, I was going to introduce myself to Merle Haggard one time uh, at the ACMs, and I walked up. And he goes, Joe, how you doing, man? I'm a big fan of yours. And I'm like, Merle Haggard knows my name. That just blows my mind, you know. Uh, Ronnie Millsap told me he was, you know, so. Yeah, those—that's a really special thing when somebody who you who you idolize tells you that, you know. Can you go to dinner in Nashville with, or
2: in Tennessee without being bothered?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, people are pretty cool. they really they are, uh, and and I I just always feel like it's really not a bother. I mean, all the time it ever even kind of gets under my skin a little bit is if I'm in the middle of eating.
2: You know, I often say if people are eating or with their kids, yeah. Those are really the only two times, because otherwise, everyone knows what they signed up for. Right.
3: Yeah. You're a no, public I,
2: figure. You're a public figure.
3: But eating, like literal food on the table, I have food, a fork in my hand, mm-hmm. eating something. And some. Yeah. But I mean, I. And of course, people don't mean any harm by it. You know. Fact. Fact. George Jones and I were at uh, to dinner one night, one evening, and and this lady came up, and we were in the middle of eating, and uh, she comes up with her little boy, and, and she goes. Uh, I don't mean to bother you guys, and George goes, "Well, what are you doing it for?" Then? <laughs> <laughs> he was teasing, of course, you know.
2: So, what is it like to be a fan of George Jones, and then
3: here you are having dinner? I know I couldn't. I didn't even know how. I couldn't even talk to him. I didn't know what to even ask him. I'm assuming he has to invite you. Yeah, yeah. And did you get? Where did that relationship? How did it start? Just from doing a couple shows together, and uh, and I sang on. Uh, uh, on his uh, hit song, I Don't Need Your Rocking Chair. I don't need your rocking chair. Yeah, yeah, man. Jerry yeah, yeah. tall or your Medicare. <laughs> the one. yeah. So I did that's that. such a jam. And that was one of the most special things, not only because of that, but I got to take my dad. I didn't tell him where we were going. He was, George Jones his idol, you know. So I just took him. I took him. And he said, where are we going? I said, just come on, you know. So I took him in there, and, and uh, there was all, he saw Alan Jackson, Clint Black, and all these people. He was like, what is this, what's going on here? Then the limo pulls up and George gets out. He was just, i never seen it. He was speechless. He just was stunned by it, you know. So That's cool really moment. cool, right? Yeah. Like yeah. of all the moments, like
2: getting to do things for the people that you care about, yeah. at least for me, has been like kind of the coolest Absolutely. thing I've been able to do. Absolutely. That's pretty cool that you're a big fan of George Jones and the next, then you're at dinner with George it, Jones.
3: Really, it took me a couple of times uh, before I was able to even t- converse with him because I was just really, I was so nervous and, and he was just such an icon in my eyes. But he, I found that later on he was he was just so he's just so country, you know. He's like and he's like talking to your grandpa. He couldn't hear it real good, you know. So you you'd say something and, and he'd go, <laughs> you know. So then I got him to sing on a on a song with me, and it was really cool too. Did you ever meet Tammy? Oh yeah, T- Tammy was one. She loved my singing. yes yeah, you asked about that earlier. She I forgot about Tammy. She was a huge fan of mine. In fact, I, I sang on. Uh, she did a, an album of duets with a lot of rock uh, artists. And I think me and Wynonna were the only two country people she asked to be on there. So that was really neat to get sit there. I mean, you talk about bizarre. All of a sudden, I'm sitting there right next to Tammy Wynette, And we sang it live. We sang it down live. We, it was, you know, there was no overdubbing or punching in. It was that, that's what it was, so.
2: Were you around when they were doing the uh, tours of stars' homes when they would actually drive by people's houses?
3: Yep. Which nowadays seems really weird. It's a pain. It's it's a pain in the rear. You'd be out mowing your lawn. So this would happen to you, right? All the time, yeah. So you're out mowing the yard. What happens? Oh, you're all sweaty, and you know, and they, you know, <laughs> and here there comes that bus full of people, and they are all taking pictures of you, and you're, you're sweat dripping off of you. You got grass all over you. You know, it's like. Hi, <laughs> how you <y'all doing? laughs> You know, how would they find your house? I don't know how. That's I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Because if
2: they did that nowadays, that would be the weirdest.
3: Well, I asked them. I actually made a request. I said, "Look, I mean, I said, not only it's it's bothering me, but it's bothering my neighbors as well to have these buses coming and stopping in the you know everybody getting out and all this. They would stuff. get out of the bus I, a couple times. They did, yeah. So and I guess it's not illegal. No, I actually called. And, and ask, is, is there any way we can make this stop? And they're like, no. Nope. So, okay. So it was kind of weird. So after that, literally, I'd be out mowing the lawn or doing something outside, and I'd, and I'd be watching because I knew about what time of day they came by. And so I just watched for them. And I'd go hide, you know, <laughs> run, run behind the shed.
2: <laughs> uh, everybody, check it out. Joe, Joe, Joe Diffie. Each album is individually autographed and numbered and it's at joediffycom slash vinyl. Correct. But I'm sure if you just go to JoeDiffy.com, there's also a link up there that says for the vinyl, right? I'm sure, yeah. If you can't yeah. spell vinyl. Because I'm going to be honest, not a great word to spell. It is not. V-I-N-Y-L. Yeah. Not the easiest. Are you sure? No, I'm not. <laughs> I wouldn't Give have bet any V-Y. money on that. <laughs> um, as long as there's a bar. Yeah. Well, tell me about that.
3: Uh, a couple of great friends of mine wrote that, uh, a guy named Gavin Griffin and, uh, and Brian Keith Burns, who was in Trick Pony and he played bass for me for like seven years early in my career and uh, so they wrote this song it just reminded me of prop me up a little bit so that's 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 mostly the reason i did it
2: with a lot of the music from when i was a kid in in the 90s where you have a bunch of your number one songs kind of re-emerging as a big deal did that help your touring 90s yeah. country like was it like absolutely it was like a whole new rebirth of, of touring for you
3: absolutely yeah helped it tremendously and like i say uh, with the advent of that song, in you know, nineteen ninety four, I got so many new art, new fans and you know younger fans. It's just really, it's really been um, pretty amazing to me. Well, I'm super happy that that you came by. Uh, Thank you.
2: Good luck. Hope you sell so many of these these vinyl records that you're so annoyed with having to sign them. That's a gr- that's the <laughs> that's greatest a problem best to have. Problem in the world. It is right the there. best. Like, it is. I would it's get awesome. so irritated signing these books, and I'd be like, I'm so happy to be irritated. Um, it was the
3: greatest yeah. irritation. You got to sit. Sometimes you know you get a little. A little biased, or or just worn out with things over, over time, and you you kind of it's good to get a little uh you know check once in a while just to kind of a little gut check and say okay wait a minute I'm doing the best I got the best job in the yeah. world I, you know I could be out roofing a house or, and I used to do that you know or I could
2: be back on doing clean I used to do cleanup for roofing houses yeah. which is even worse than roofing oh, houses yeah
3: right so I have I'm I'm the I'm just so lucky and so blessed I got great family you know and. So uh, great friends, so I, you know, it's it's a, it's a pleasure for me.
2: Well, uh, you're always welcome. I got a Christmas card from you. All right, yes. Did yeah. you know that? I did. Yes. Uh, I felt like I was telling, giving. I felt like I was giving him news, Mike. He <laughs> was like, he was like, oh, you got a Christmas? card. I got a Christmas card from you a couple days My wife ago. Sent,
3: she sent out a gazillion, but we're glad that you're on the list. So
2: it was news to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, she told me about it yesterday. Okay, good, or good. Day good. before yesterday. Regardless, yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. I'm not going to awesome. lie to you. I thought awesome. it was pretty cool. Uh, joediffy.com uh, slash vinyl Uh, Joe, good luck, and good to see you again. Thank you, man. appreciate you having me. Episode 217 here on The Bobbycat.
1: Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights...